0: Welcome to Celebrate Story. I am so grateful for your ear in a world that is so noisy. It is an honor to have your attention. I hope you will enjoy today's interview. I spoke with Brian McLaren, um, a prolific author, writer, thinker um, in the ecumenical tradition. That word was new to me. I'd not heard it until just very recently, a few years ago. Um, But the idea of an ecumenical teacher is one that bridges across denominations. And in my search for what is the church, my journey has led to me, whatever the church is, it can't be about just this one little church in this one big city with this one interpretation. I really unpacked that a lot more in my talk, Changing the Narrative. If you haven't heard that yet, you can go back and listen. Um, So I really really was searching for what is true across time and tradition and denomination. And so I am so drawn to tender, humble voices in this tradition. Um, So I got the privilege of pre-reading the book, Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Disappointed, disillusioned, and discouraged. The subtitle the subtitle grabbed me. I, I, I can't think of a better sum, summary than where I'm at over the last several years of just disappointed, disillusioned, and discouraged with the church. So where do I go from there? This book was so deep. It will be one that I reread and re-reference. It gave me like a breathtaking, fast-paced dive into some church history, and also just this beautiful, hopeful vision of solidarity moving forward. So this interview could not be long enough, and I cannot even wait to get the chance to talk with him again. I just thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy listening in. Welcome. 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 Welcome to celebrate. To celebrate. Party.
1: Welcome. My mom. My mom. It's my mom. With my mom. With my wife. Julie Wagner.
0: Julie Wagner. Julie Wagner.
1: Julie Wagner.
0: Welcome to Celebrate Story. I am so honored to have this chance to have a conversation with you. Thank you so much for coming.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Julie. It's great to meet you and to know that this uh, podcast exists.
0: Great. So we will spend the next um 30 to 45 minutes um with I would just love to share with the Celebrate Story community some of the quotes that just like grab not just my heart but my head and I'd just love to ask you about them and just hear you expound on them. I've been taking my listeners on a journey of um I've just spent several years of like what is the church? Like what like at mm. the truest like Foundational level, and I—the more I learn, the less I know. So, um, (laughs) like anything, right? (laughs) Mothering—that's a sign.
2: That's a sign you're really learning something. I think.
0: (laughs) (sighs) Yes, yes, and so I have been taking my listeners on that journey, and just, um, just really enjoying talking to different people that have just enlarged my vision um, and brought hope. Because I've shared with my listeners how. I mean, if your title of the book could not be more true about a guide for the doubters, disappointed, and disillusioned, mm-hmm. um, I have been in that space. And I'm so grateful for this, as well as so many other tools that have um, come across in my searching that mm-hmm. have have brought a bigger and bolder and more beautiful vision. So, um, so I would love to start off with, you had just mentioned when we were talking before we hit re- record, you were telling me... Um, You're in Florida and, you know, listeners can see that if they click on the bio, can learn more about Brian and you're going to learn more about Brian in this interview. Um, But you had, I loved the part that you, you started to talk about how our language fails us. And you referenced that you're in like this, this language overload, and then you went kayaking And you just had this moment where you're just literally disconnecting from language. I would love for you to just talk more about either that event that you talked about in the book or a little Mm. bit more about why that's important or just whatever you are ready to share.
2: Sure. Well, first, thanks for noticing that. Um, That was a chapter that uh, was important for me to write. Um, Yeah, I have this weird, quirky little theory. And the theory is that when our human ancestors, who knows how many tens of thousands of years ago, uh developed language, language became so powerful that it became more real than reality itself. Um mm. so so it's almost like the word apple has more power for us than an actual apple does. Um and and the ways that we use words in our social interaction almost the words become almost more real than the person. And we we experience this whenever we label a person or we a person has a label for us so that we don't even notice them. And then we really meet them and we find out they're so different from what the word made us know was true before it got uh, blown up by our experience. And so, and I think that's really true in the world of religion. And of course I'm a writer and I write about spirituality, religion, Christianity, theology, and this comes out of a lot of my struggles with questions and doubt and struggles with how religious people behave and how religious institutions and communities behave. And I I think for so many years, I thought if I could just get my language right, everything would work out. And if I could just get the right words to artic- articulate the beliefs correctly, everything would work out. And I've come to a place in my life where I don't think that's true. I think that the truth is always bigger than words. And that if it's just a matter of perfecting words, I'm in too small a world. And the gift to me in this is it, it, what it invites me to do is to get out into the natural world and be there long enough and immerse myself deeply enough that I'm not just narrating Oh, there's a tree. Oh, there's a bird. Oh, there's a bird of the species. But I'm actually trying to let my, it's not just my brain and my eyes and my, it's my whole body to be in this beautiful world and to feel it and to feel my connection to it and to enjoy it. And, and somehow that takes me to a place where I think a kind of logic gets spoken to me that's the logic of creation and of course i you know for people who are familiar with the bible you, you, they'll remember in the beginning of the gospel of john it says in the beginning was the word which is the logos which means the inner logic or pattern and and the logos was with god the logos was god that th- there's this sense of whatever god is it comes through in that logos and and people experience that logos in jesus and i think we would have to say that that is the logos, the logic, the pattern of creation. So uh, that goes just beyond human words. So that, I'm really glad you bring that chapter up because I think it's one of the ways that, for those of us who are struggling with a religion that we inherited, it helps us try to get in touch with something that's a little more concrete and direct. Does that does that w- yes. work, Julie?
0: That was that was so helpful to hear you you talk about so many so many things that on, on an experiential level, I'm like, yes, because I, I went through a period where I could not read the Bible. And, um, you know, as a good (laughs) Southern Baptist evangelical, that is like the (laughs) The very (laughs) worst. (laughs) So it's like at one point in my life, I'm like sitting all my children around the table and we're memorizing first Corinthians 13 and we're doing it as dutifully and imperfectly and faithfully as we can. And then Due to a number of storms, life, right? That God comes yeah. to us disguised as our life. I, I think that's one yes. of your quotes. And yeah. it's like all those things back to back, but I could, I could start to pray and I could start to contemplate the word or, yes. or just be. In nature, yes. it's like, yes. and I, I say that and I can hear like the inner fundamentalist voice when I say, oh, <laughs> nature saved me. I'm like, oh, like someone's going to misunderstand me because the language yeah. limits. But I see it yeah. again and again and again. I mean, I saw it this morning, I the, the morning with, with eight children there. You know, chaotic mornings are just normal, like even if we think we're running in a rhythm. <laughs> and it's like someone saw a bunny outside and it was like, <gasps> so we all got to go outside and like see this baby bunny. And it's like all the words don't feel good enough because it's like we yes. all got to be in a sense of wonder, in yes. a sense of mystery, and a sense of joy. Yes. And it's like, I've tried to lead a lot of prayers with my kids and it's a lot of wiggling and a lot of like, you know, <laughs> don't do that. And oh, you know, there's I'm like but it's like this moment was just pure grace and pure joy. And it's yeah. that, that is something I can, um, I don't even want to say grab a hold of cause you can't grab a hold of it. Um, yes,
2: yes. You could savor it, can't you? As it, as it, as you get the scent in the air or the taste on your tongue, you just savor it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Oh, that's, that's so beautifully said. And, uh, your kids are lucky to have a mom who's having these realizations. Because <sighs> these realizations are part of the, an essential part of the legacy that you're going to give to your kids, and I feel so happy for your kids that they have a mom who's having these kinds of <laughs> learnings in your own life.
0: Oh, that's that's encouraging. I I I hope you know we're a complicated mix of <laughs> so much, right? Like, which oh, is why, yeah, that's right. We don't fit in any label, and um, I say to my kids often that you know we're. You know, they they love to be like, oh, you know, they love to make a label and I love to push on the label like that you have no idea what that label means. Like, you know, like, oh, he's bad or, you know, or he's weird. I'm like, really? (laughs) That is like some need or feeling we have inside that that we're now like placing on them. (laughs) They're not fitting in our box. Right. Like they're not. And I think that's where um your work and and so many other tools and nature has been so helpful as as um to c- kind of know we're not alone i'd love to read your quote um you you talked about and i don't think it was this book specifically i think it was in faith after doubt you said acknowledging how little we know is i think the core of mature faith what we think of as great faith may merely be a boatload of indoctrination and overconfidence and that was like <laughs> so helpful in the wilderness of because, you know, if you're in this small box of Christianity and you've memorized it well to break out of it, you feel like a heretic, you feel like. Yeah. And yeah. I'm curious, was there ever a time in your life? What I'd like to know is, did you ever come out of like that box of what you thought of like this, the smaller circle Christianity and start to expand a more um, ecumenical? Is that the right term? Yeah. Did, yeah. did you ever go through a period of like wrestling in that?
2: Oh my gosh. I have never not been in a period <laughs> of wrestling like that. I've never not been in a period. Look, all of us inherit, our parents give us the best that they have. And and we so all we can do is take the best that, that we have. I have since learned that my parents took what they received and made major improvements on it when they passed it on to me. Mm. And, and now I try to take what I received and make major improvements on it when I pass it on to my kids and my kids are making major improvements on what I gave them as they pass it on to their kids. I think that's, that, that's how it should be, you know, and, and we're never done. And, and it, in fact, it should maybe be our greatest achievement that our children follow our example of improving upon what we gave them. <laughs> mm. Um, And, but so many people that phrase, a boatload of, of indoctrination, they think the more indoctrination they can heap upon their children, uh, the, the more of a gift they're giving to them. And, um, though they, the parents can feel really proud of their indoctrination job, but not too many of the kids grow up grateful about that. They grow up burdened by it. And many times just, they can't wait to get out of, out from from under that. Cargo.
0: (laughs) Yes, and it it takes. I mean, I have been that parent that it felt so good to have them spit these things back out. (laughs) Yes, and then I had a few of them hit the teenage years, and I realized, hmm, okay, this this is a whole new ball game. And it it sometimes the greatest gifts do not at all seem like gifts. And to be able to hear their independent thoughts, my actually one of my teenagers said recently. And this was so helpful and so encouraging on this journey that he had said, because I said, one of the reasons I chose the original church, which has been so beautiful and so many beautiful relationships, and I'm so grateful for them, but it's not the right place for us anymore, is that Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, this church won't scare children. Because when I grew up, I just... Mm -hmm always had this sense of like being scared. Like The altar calls yes. always left me so yes. afraid. And yes. I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to volunteer in this children's ministry. And the children's ministry is like basically Disney World in every age. And mm. it's beautiful and amazing for children to make it fun. So in my mind, I was like shoring up that my kids will not hear a message where they are scared of God. Mm. And it was so interesting talking, and I've gotten permission to share this with one of my teenagers because we were talking about like, Kind of how what I'm learning about, you know, not every Christian thinks that this is like this ultimate decision and this one point and that means everything. You know, maybe that all that kind of serves like putting a number down because we, we want to serve God and, and it does help us to feel like we're getting another number. (laughs) And it does, we want to know we're hitting the mark. We're humans. We want to know we're hitting the mark. Like I was like, but I, I don't, you know, I think the best I'm understanding it, my best guess now is like we're, we're continually being saved, like, and it's yes, goodness and mercy yes. are chasing us down. Like, like, I and oh, I, I was sharing that. this, and I was hoping, I was like, and you know, I'm just fumbling my way through. Like, and we read Harry Potter years ago, and the letters keep coming to Harry wherever he goes, and I'm like,
1: oh, mm.
0: I just so have to believe God's love is like that, even if all the things yes. go wrong, even if I'm in the middle of the ocean, that those letters find yes. us and find all yes. of us. I I have to believe that, and I was like, we were having this fun conversation. And he was, I was like, so, but that's why I chose, you know, the church I did, because I didn't want you to feel that fear. He was like, oh, mom, I always felt that fear every single time. So Mm. though it was a prettier package and less kind of fire and brimstone, it was still um, an invitation with a fear as a motivation. And I'm like, oh, you think that you have, you know, but like, I love what you're saying. Like, we're just continuing to make improvements and continuing to make improvements and the conversation is a gift in and of itself. Do you think um do you see things changing in the last um I know you wrote I don't remember which chapter you talked about more and more people are you know really talking about original blessing and over yeah. original sin. Do you see the culture changing in the last like cause you mm-hmm. talk about Christianity's in its infancy? Do you see the culture yeah. changing?
2: So here's what I see. I see opposite things happening at the same time, Julie, I bet you see this too. I see People are having breakthroughs and, and and they're exploring new territory, just like you are, you know, they're, they're exploring new territory. Other people get nervous about that and they double down and dig in their heels and, uh, and, uh, and become more afraid and, uh, and more controlling and all the rest. And I think we have to accept that both of those are happening at the same time. And I think they will for the foreseeable future. I think the ugly expressions of Christianity are going to get much uglier. I don't think we've seen the bottom yet. I, I and I'm afraid, and it's one of the reasons why I'm I, I'm not afraid to write a book like this, because I I a book like this needs to be written because we have to sound the alarm that Christianity has an ugly history. Uh, it has, and it's kept that history secret and the worst parts of that history could still be written unless we come to terms with the ugliness of our history and uh, learn the lessons we need to learn from it you know um, but at the same time people have been realizing this for a long time and i like i know this is true because i've seen it in my lifetime that the theological work we need to do to get to a better place is being done. like, and, and it's being done by a wider array of people. I mean, when I first started writing books, Julie, I'm, I'm not proud of this, but I, this is a confession. If you were to look at the footnotes or end notes in my book, almost 100% of the writers were met, were white men. And that was because I grew up in a setting where white men made the rules. And even if I didn't want to perpetuate that to gain credibility, to get a hearing, I felt I had to quote white men in order to to prove myself as a white man to say something different. <sighs> and, uh, and I somebody pointed this out to me at some point, and I realized my life is being enriched by women theologians and by by black theologians and Latinx theologians and by LGBTQ theologians and. I need to do, I need to start quoting them to show that they're having a big influence and, and yeah, those voices are there. And we don't know what Christianity will look like when ma- when women have an equal voice to men and we don't know what Christianity will look like when people uh, of all races have a voice uh, uh, at the table. Um, so, yeah. And, wow. and, you know, so many of us grew up in rigid denominations where the list of people we could read or listen to is very tightly controlled. Well, now guess what? We all get to listen to Catholics and Catholics get to listen to Protestants and we get to listen to Orthodox. And and so we we start hearing these different voices. We do not know what Christianity will look like. After that gets a generation or two to sink in. So Ugh. that's where as the same time ugly stuff is happening, beautiful stuff is brewing. Does that does that run Ugh. through to you?
0: That is that is expanding. I love your reminder to look at both the paradox, the both and yes. Yeah. That was that was so great. And it something that flashed in my head to think about like my bridge into like reading the books that were not on the approved book list in <laughs> mm-hmm. my denomination was like Nadia Bulls Weber that was mm-hmm. the bridge. That was the mm-hmm. bridge. And I think it's interesting because it was a bridge, like another woman's voice.
2: Yes, yes, And then
0: that opened up to a whole world of like, and I still remember when I was reading it, I was like, oh, I just don't want to, I just, you know, not sure if I'm, <laughs> but I'm like, <laughs> I am so grateful, like so grateful because she has expanded my heart and mind with the challenging things and to think about things from a different perspective and I didn't know how small I was thinking and how small I was seeing like how wide and and I'm sure I still am I'm sure I'm still limiting I'm sure I'm sure I'm still doing the boxes right the boxes are all around us and it <laughs> it's just it's encouraging to hear that I also flashed in my head when you were talking was the Amanda story because that's on my list mm-hmm. cuz that that Amanda story in your book so for the listeners let me catch the listeners up okay so there's a story that Brian tells of um a young woman whose dad you know had certain extremely conservative beliefs and She had um, she was just exploring and growing and learning and loving and um, it became like a power struggle is the way I understood it. Mm
1: -hmm. And the
0: dad wanted to really put Amanda in her place of like, no, this is, you know, and really got on. I think it was Amanda's fiance or husband Mm -hmm. and Amanda. I mean, these words I have told this story, too. So all my close friends that are listening to this, they're going to be like, she is. This story really meant a lot to Julie because I keep saying it over and over again. Because um, her dad then tried to correct her and say, oh, well, don't come to me, you know, with that tone and, you know, really tried to like narratively take over. And yep. Amanda said, dad, I said what I needed to say the way I needed to say it. And you need to hear it. Yes. Brian, I, if you want to share anything more about that story, I cannot, words cannot express to hear that example of her standing up to power over. Yes. And her standing in her journey and her experience and her truth, that was so powerful. So anything else you want to share about that? Uh, I would love to hear it.
2: Well, actually, you're, first, I'm so glad that story meant a lot to you. And, and, uh, and I'm going to see uh, Nadia soon, and I will tell, also tell her about the impact that she's had on you, which will be fun. And, but um, I, I was speaking at a seminary, I don't know, 10 years ago. And a woman came up to me after one of my lectures and I was a guest lecturer. So I was just there for like three days for an intensive, but she was an ongoing student. And she, she said, I just wanted to tell you, I feel terrible for the kinds of things that people say about you and the kind of things people write about you online. And she said, you've had a lot of courage. I don't know how you have so much courage. And her eyes fill up with tears. And I said to her, I see these tears in your eyes. You're showing so much compassion for me, but I bet this must connect with some pain of your your own. And she starts to cry. And she said, I guess the reason it means so much to me that you speak up, even though people say terrible things about you, is that I'm a woman in a seminary from a denomination that won't even listen to me. In my denomination, I don't even have a voice. And my eyes filled up with tears at that point. And I said, the pain you're in is so much greater than anything I ever have felt. Because even when I was getting attacked, it showed I was being respected enough to be taken seriously. I said, for you to have to, to not even be listened to. And this is, and in the Christian religion, every woman, every daughter knows about those men who take this patronizing, patriarchal, domineering tone and uh, and it's dehumanizing and and I felt it from that the pain that that woman expressed to me that day and and I I mean and then as soon as I tell that story I can't help but think of all those women in the Gospels who Jesus shows respect to and how they must have felt finally a man who doesn't treat me like all the other men around (sighs) here treat me
0: yes Yes. Yeah. So does that come, does empathy come to you from a place of is it is a place that that is built in you over in your life through suffering? Or is it a place that is built in is does it come naturally to you? I'm so curious mm-hmm. to know more about like that oozes out of your work, this empathic approach. Is that is that something you intentionally work on and fight against, or is it something that is a part of your personality?
2: You know I uh, two of my greatest regrets, like literally I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and I wince and I groan i I was uh, I'm the older of two brothers, and I was so mean to my younger brother, you know like i I was just on the phone with him the other day. I love him he's one of my favorite people in the world. I just can't believe I was ever mean to him, you know, but I did the typical big brother bully stuff to him and then. I have this memory of being at the bus stop and there was a kid in my school. And back in those days, the term we used was mentally retarded. That, that was the term we used. And I won't use the other terms that were used to describe this fellow. And I was just so mean to him. And I remember thinking, well, I, I mean, in some ways, anyone who'd ever bullied me, I had my chance to pass on the bullying to this kid, right? So here I am now an adult. 66 years old i remember i like i remember with grief and pain those those experiences and and so i suppose um i don't know when it happened but i do know that i've seen a lot of religious bullying go on and i i was being groomed to be that kind of a religious bully Cause I was zealous and I was sincere and I was pious and I've done it to a couple of people. I've done that kind of condescending tone to a couple of people. And all I can say is I just, I feel filthy and dirty anytime I've ever done it. And I, don't want to be part of that anymore. And I have come to understand that a huge part of what Jesus models for us is the very opposite of that. You know, G- the only time Jesus is harsh with people is when he's standing up to bullies to protect the people he's, they're bullying. And um, so, yeah, I so love, that's yeah. that
0: is that is so I just loved hearing that. Of course, I had to think of the Richard Rohr quote of, if we don't transform our pain, we'll most certainly transmit it. Yeah. And that, like, pray for me, pray for me that I can, like, it's beyond words, I guess. It's beyond words, but I see that so alive in when you have eight humans that you have been given the gift of birthing into this world. And then when they hurt each other, you. it's like you can see the cycle and... Yeah. It's, and then I, oh, and I've done it too. I mean, the mom, I mean, there's nothing like power that can give you an invitation yeah. to bully. Like So I am, yeah. I am guilty. I am not, um, I, I don't, the words are failing, but I just, I like hearing, I just appreciate your vulnerability in that. And it's like, it kind of like what, what an encouragement to like, take the long view with, with yeah. our kids. Cause, and the, the power I'm jumping all around, but the power and the religious bullying—that—that that is another thing that is that that literally opened my eyes up to. Let me just read some other things because, and that jumps us right to the Reconsecrate everything because there mm-hmm. was a scenario in which, um, you know, a fifteen-year-old was labeled as dangerous because he kissed some girls at camp, and I just read Shameless by Nadia mm. Bowles yes. Weber, yes.
1: yes, and
0: I was just starting to like dig underneath the. Um, the ground on these purity culture beliefs I was raised on. And I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) Are 15 year old boys dangerous when they kiss girls? (laughs) And so that is, uh, and and that is, uh, that was literally like, I mean, I have told that story many times. My listeners probably have it memorized, (laughs) but it's like, I'm still unpacking that because it's like, who are we to label anyone? And I am, I have failed at this with my children. So I speak, From a fellow struggler, of like, who are we to label anyone, anything other than like your whole chapter on reconsecrate everything in solidarity? Like, this idea Mm -hmm. of like, we should be naming people blessed and loved and made in the image of God. And I heard a loke on um, whose podcast was it? I think it was Jackie. Reverend Jackie Lewis's. And I was blown away because I thought, isn't this interesting how those that have been bullied have a yeah. sight and a sound of what it means to be loved that we don't have? Like, what? Yeah. I don't know. W- would you speak to that? I know I jumped all over the place because my mind's on fire.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, f- first, I I just empathize when you describe having eight children. I, we have four, four children. They're all in their thirties and forties now, but, um, but there is this gift of watching kids have inevitable and normal squabbles and fights and power struggles and crabbiness and all the rest. And you're there as a parent and you love each of them and you, you love the one who gets hurt and you love the one who does the hurting and, Mm -hmm. and, and you, you are angry, but you're also empathetic and you're, you know, and there's something in that sort of expansive love that obviously is what Jesus decides to tell us through all his parables. If you want to understand God, think of stories like that. And, 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 what is so horrible about that story about there's a dangerous boy who ki- who's 15 who wanted to kiss a girl is to say, hold it, that boy is somebody's beloved child. Yes. <laughs> and by you labeling him dangerous, you're taking him out of the realm of a beloved child. And there's some mother yes. who and, and, and father who love that child and realize my child is in puberty and is trying to figure out how to handle, uh, puberty. Puberty is incredibly powerful. And this person has no idea, has forgotten how hard it is to be a 15 year old boy. And, uh, and oh my gosh, you know, it's yeah. So when we bring that love to it, I, I just have to say, and I'm so glad that you Julie are challenging and questioning that purity culture that, uh, that, that has, that feels so innocent and right, but ends up causing so much unintended harm, you know, um, by pouring shame on people and by making some people be bad only for being what they are, which is a human being with testes or ovaries or whatever (laughs) it is, that is what they are. And to be 15 and have testes or ovaries means things are happening to you. (laughs) Yes. and and to just say keep acting like an 8-year-old is it's just against nature it's not going it, to happen so this is, is one of our huge challenges how do we more sensibly help people how do we get on the on the grown-up side of helping kids grow up by instead of saying keep acting like an 8-year-old to say I want to help you be a 15-year-old and I want to help prepare you to be a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old and a 23-year-old and because that's what a good parent does so.
0: Yes. And it it, it I see it in me that it's like oh and I the fear, the fear yes. of oh are they going to make a bad choice? But it's like that's encouraging that you said you see both. You think that Christianity is changing you see that in a culture and it's not because I I really have a lot of work to do on what is mine to do and what is mine to say. And so yeah. the the podcast is a place of okay, this is mine to do and say because I you know, my personality means so outgoing, the you know, if if pure, something touches purity culture in the circles I'm in, there was an instance at the park last year where it's like, oh, there was this boy and he was kissing a girl in the parking lot of a church and it was like we all just had this very like very serious, very like upset and I'm like wait I remember what it's like to kiss at 19. It's like, what are we doing? Like, this is like, he was at a church. And to me, I'm like, the world is so broken and so confusing. I mean, he could have been, I don't know, selling drugs to someone. Then I'd get upset. (laughs) I don't know, like hurting someone in a way, like too consensual 19. I was like, I, I just, but I mean, Nadia took me down that path because I'm like, I just, I can't unsee what I see now on how we add shame. And I think that's where this whole journey of kind of re-auditing my faith of, I realized that I was in this religion that had these boxes of these are the people that are in and these are the people that are out. And the longer I live, uh, turning 44 in August, it's like no one fits in any of the boxes that I am finding myself that I I'll probably spend the rest of my life getting to know myself. Like I am infinitely complex. My husband yes. is infinitely complex. We're we're <laughs> still getting to know each other. So how could I ever put anyone in a box and if if anything, I want to put them in a box that encourages them and uplifts them and blesses yes. them. And and it's just, I don't know, that 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 that's a bit about the road I'm on. So could you talk a little bit more about that solidarity? chapter. Um, So in your book, you have um, this, talk a little bit about like moving from simplicity to perplexity and how that relates to solidarity. I would love to hear you talk about that.
2: Sure. So in, 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 do I stay Christian? One of the chapters I summarized uh, an idea that I explored in a whole book called faith after doubt. And I, I, something that's been super helpful for me as a tool that any tool can be abused, but as a tool, You know, there are tools to help understand different personality types like Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, and they can be abused, but they can be really helpful. Uh, One of the tools that's really helped me is stages of human development, and there are a whole bunch of different theorists. And I I synthesized the best theorists I've read and offered a four-stage model. Simplicity, that's us, them, in, out, good guys, bad guys, and it's super oriented toward authority figures. It's where we all start as children. Then complexity, that's when we have to start having fine print after our simple, easy answers. And we start having, it's a stage of pragmatism. How do we make it in the world? So I was taught by my parents, I'm not allowed to have sex, but let me at least, how can I figure out how to kiss a girl in the parking lot of the church? (laughs) That's a good stage two complexity thing, right? Um, And then stage three is perplexity. And that's when I look back and I say, A lot of those rules that the authority figures gave me have hurt me. And not only that, a lot of those rules have hurt a lot of other people. And a lot of those authority figures who said they were speaking for God, I found out some secrets about them, and they aren't so great. How do I sort all this out? And perplexity involves us going back and challenging the simplicity that we inherited. And every human being inherits one version of it or another, because we all come up in a family and a culture that gives us a bunch of givens. And I I should say a lot of people stay in simplicity their whole lives. A lot of people stay in complexity their whole lives. A lot of people reach perplexity and there's nowhere to go. But from from there, I think more and more people spend enough time in in perplexity and maybe they're lucky enough to have a teacher or a mentor who helps them see that there's something even beyond perplexity. And that's what I call harmony or solidarity where I say, You know, those people in simplicity, they're not trying to be bad. That's just Mm -hmm. where they are right now. And those people in complexity, that's just where they are right now. And those people in perplexity, that's where they are right now. And I'm trying to be in somewhere different. And instead of saying I'm better than them, I just want to say, I understand. And we're all in this process of growth. And that solidarity then gives it comes back to the empathy you talked about before. Um, and it, I think there's a deeply spiritual dimension to it that relates a little bit to what we're saying about this vision of God that Jesus gives, that says, you know what, God loves the younger brother who's running out to sow his wild oats and 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 feeding pigs, and God loves the older brother who's staying home and developing a bad attitude, and uh and that there's this sense of love that is universal and non-discriminatory that that I think we we touch more and more deeply in that stage four. And then I think if you live in stage four long enough, it becomes your new simplicity and then you'll face new complexity and so on.
0: Uh, so it's a cycle. A I cycle. think so.
2: Yeah. And I think we never arrive. And one of the blessings that comes if we live long enough and if, if we have enough experiences and teachers and freedom is that then we, we, we become more and more comfortable with saying, I'm not finished yet. Uh, and I never will be. And uh, a a dear friend and a gifted writer, Sean Aniquist, just wrote a book called, I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet, I think is the title. And it's just this way of saying, yeah, we don't know everything and we're all learning. We're all in process. Yeah.
0: And I learn so much from her and you and so many people that have that posture because I'll replicate whoever I posture myself to learn from. And so mm. for someone to have an approach of, and that's what I consumed for so long of like, this is what it is and this is what the Bible says. Yeah. But I've, I hit a point where that hurt relationships. And yeah. for better or worse, if there's one thing I've prioritized, it's connection. And it's like to always have my rigid, simple, like being in that space. But I can even see myself bouncing in and out of them even in a whole day. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah I think so. I thought that Which makes sense because the model I use is that to think of rings on a tree. So simplicity is like the first ring in a tree. And when you re- when you grow into complexity, you don't get rid of simplicity. You keep it. You just develop new capacities beyond it. And perplexity develops a new set of capacities beyond that and so on. Um, so all of those things are always with us. Um, but we develop new capacities and then comes the challenge of learning how to balance and, and integrate them, which is what I think maturity, you know, maturity isn't a destination. It's just the process of, of integrating those, those different capacities that we developed. Yeah.
0: I love the story you told in, I think it was, do I stay Christian? Might've been in faith after doubt. You, you told a story of how you went back to your kids and yeah. told them and apologized could you like invite our listeners into that because i'm so starving for those examples i have religiously apologized to my children and and sometimes i think i can get like heavy with like there's been too many apologies like you're you're you know like um i don't know and i think that is cuz i'm tr- still shaking off like a meritocracy based christianity yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but i just that's
2: right and And, 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 you know, there's a kind of religion that puts so much pressure on all of us and there's a lot of pressure put on children, but there's a lot, that's because the parents have a lot of pressure put on them and uh, very opposite of grace is all that (sighs) pressure. But so I, I don't remember how much of the detail I told of this story. I know I didn't tell the detail I'm about to tell you now, but one of my sons during COVID came to visit and we live near the beach. We took a long walk on the beach. And so he is, you know, he's in his upper thirties and I'm in my sixties and he's been carrying something around for many, many years, but he didn't, he decided now is the time to tell me. And, uh, and he said that I, I need to tell you about a time you really, really hurt me. And I, he said, I've been going to therapy and this hurt is just one of the ones that, you know keeps coming back to me and i'm not telling you you don't need to apologize i just thought it's time for me to tell you and uh and he said i had a birthday party and i i invited this kid who i didn't really like but he was in my grade and uh, so i invited him and he was really being a jerk at the birthday party and he was embarrassing me that he was even there and you saw me being mean to him, and you pulled me aside and scolded me for how badly I was treating him. And he said, the thing, the feeling I had is that you gave me no way out. Um, you just showed me how wrong I was, and you gave me no way out. And then he said, you probably don't even remember it. And the truth is I had no memory of it at all. I had no memory of it at all, but I could imagine. And I remembered the kid (laughs) and the, 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 the kid was a little annoying as I recall. But, but when I, when I look back on that, what I, what I'm thinking is I was remembering, I didn't want my son to be a mean person. And so I felt so bad about this boy being sort of left out and not having a good time at the party that I, came down hard on my son not wanting him to be a mean person not realizing how sensitive he was and not giving him permission to let another kid be a jerk and have a bad time at a party it, like maybe that kid needed to have a bad time at the party because that kid didn't know how to behave at a party you know <sighs> uh, and and I was putting this pressure on my son so i he wasn't asking me to apologize because he knew that I loved him. And I know that I, I was imperfect as a father. So he wasn't like needing to prove to me that I was imperfect. Like we both know I was imperfect as a father. (laughs) It it was just this beautiful moment where I felt like, I'm so glad you're telling me this. I really do feel terrible. I see it now. And here's the thing I said to him. If you had told me this 10 years ago, I don't think I could have handled it. Wow. Um, Because I still needed to be a perfect father, you know, Um, and I would have had to make big apologies and all the rest. But now I realize you were doing the best you could. I was doing the best I could. You're not telling me that you hate me because I wasn't a perfect father. You're just telling me because this is data you think I would like to know. You're doing me a favor. All I can tell you is it felt like two adults having a really beautiful talk together. And it made me prouder of my son to tell me this. I think it made him feel fine about me, you know? Anyway, I don't know telling you that in that level of detail, but I hope that's helpful. I love that.
0: I think that's so helpful. Like, the part that just sunk me was you saying, if I heard it 10 years ago, I would have still wanted to be perfect. Yeah. Oh, like, that is a... I won't soon forget you saying that because I'm perfectionistic about not being perfectionistic, which is... (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: And, 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 you know, if I could just add one thing, I think part, uh, and and we were talking about how we offer our kids a model, not of perfection, but of growth. And, and I, I think part of what has been happening to me now that I'm in my sixties is I'm able to look at myself. Let's see if, let's say he were 10 years old, you know, so this would have been, you know, I I don't, however, all that was, let's say I was, let's say I was 40 years old when this happened. There's part of me now that's able to look back at the 40-year-old me and and have compassion on the 40-year-old me. I was oh. just a guy trying to do the best I could, you know? And I don't think I had that ability to show love for myself that I have now. And Not that it's perfect now, but at, at any rate, I, I guess I appreciate you asking about that story and I'm glad to be able to tell it because again, it is this way of seeing that where everything is just bathed in love and 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 if my son needed me to apologize to him, I would be glad to because I do feel bad that i I made him feel that he had failed, and I gave him no way to no way to make it right you know or or I gave him no way to be let's say a ten year old kid who was embarrassed by another kid ten year old kids ought to be allowed to be embarrassed by another kid <laughs> and want to just get as far away from as they can and don't care if they have a bad time at the party. Cause they're embarrassing me at my own birthday party.
0: Like, Oh yeah. Cause we're so that weight of, this is speaking to me so much. Cause the weight of perfection on, cause we yeah. live in this world that is edited to perfection. And we're so, I am so imbalanced with the amount of perfectionistic images and things I hear and the, how to be this and how to be perfect. And then It's like I'm always so starving for those real stories, like the real, um, this is where I failed, not because misery loves company, but more of a like, oh, you're in the dark too? Tell me how you crawled out. Like, tell me, like, tell me how you found the light because like, I just am always so um, ravenous those stories like you know we just had Mother's Day and it's like I love seeing all these beautiful family photos I love sharing them but we've kind of all agreed that it's just this edited version but what I really love is like three times this week with Circles of Friends is we got up like tell me how you really felt like tell me when you felt resentful tell me when you felt angry tell me when you felt defeated tell me when you felt discouraged because otherwise I'm worried I'm living on a different planet (laughs) because I I am experiencing those things. And that to me is what your book did to bring it all home in closing. It's like these. W- there's all this wildness alive inside of all of us all the time. And I am letting go of a Christianity that had me believe that if I memorized enough and volunteered enough and did all the things, <laughs> the ABCs on the sermon, that, that that wildness would be gone and that that wildness yes. was the problem. But it's like that wildness is like the very place I, I'm being met. And I just, I just love that. Is there anything that from that chapter in, um, that you would like to add? Cause that was one of my favorites on the, and it felt, um, personal cause I being a homeschool mom, I'm drawn to these approaches and education. That's like rewilding education. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like this faith book is saying rewilding our faith. I mean, it just, the coincidence, it sounds silly, but it was deeply meaningful to me. So I'd love to hear anything else you want to share from the rewilding our faith chapter.
2: Well, maybe just to say, uh, isn't it interesting the way I bet you were taught the Bible as I was that when the children of Israel go into the wilderness, the wilderness is a terrible, dangerous place. But what if we, instead of calling it the wilderness, what if we call it the wild? And what if we say the terrible, dangerous place was Egypt where these stinking slave masters were treating people like dirt and machinery and Mm. the wild was the place where God met them and they got to be restored and they got reeducated in what it means to be human and where they had a chance to be free and, and dance and have festivals and, uh, and didn't have to work seven days a week. And, um, yeah. It, that's just one to try on when you're thinking yes. about the biblical story.
0: Yes. Cause, because, because what it means, I love that you said, because that whole, that your whole chapter about staying human, like what it means to be human. I just have this deep sense and feeling that I am not alone, that some of us, I feel like five times a day, I'm like, well, I am human or, well, he is human. Well, you know, like, cause we just beat <laughs> ourselves up mercilessly for not being perfect, <laughs> like mercilessly. And I'm like, why is it so hard to digest grace because we're swimming in this ocean of perfection and yes. heavy weights and heavy burdens. And yeah, I love rebranding the wildness and what it means to be what it means to be human it means it's wrestling and dark sometimes.
2: So this is a really nerdy thing to tell you, but um, I remember years ago I became interested in other cultures' creation narratives. And one of the Egyptian creation narratives, um like the Adam and Eve story their version of it is god makes the universe but god makes the universe with fields that have been have irrigation ditches and god makes the universe with houses and god makes the universe with streets and roads and then god or the gods say oh shoot we don't have anybody to run the irrigation ditches and we don't have anybody to harvest the crops we better make human beings To do those things. So isn't it interesting? The world is created as a civilization, and then the gods need human beings to be cogs in the machine, right? (sighs) And then you contrast that. When that Egyptian narrative would have been being told, and there were other Egyptian narratives too, but when that narrative would have been being told, the Jewish people tell a story that God made naked hunter gatherers living in a garden with no rules and no religion and no patriarchs and they're, and they're equal men and women are equal and they walk with God in the cool of the day. And there's no religion, no religious books. And it was just great. And God thought this is beautiful. So it's a way of saying when you read the Bible story, wild is what God really likes. (laughs) and uh, and this maybe is part of what we're trying to rediscover yeah
0: to re- yes i'm trying to rediscover it too because there is such a rewiring of my brain of that inner fundamentalist that inner all the rules all the right ways to be yeah. all the right ways to behave and embracing my humanity <laughs> like what it means yes. to be human and brings healing and grace and so I, I just love that. I thank you so much. I, I would love to ask if there's anything else you'd love, love to say in closing. This has been. I'm so glad I recorded this because, mm. I mean, so many times in life you have a wonderful conversation and then you just dance with it in your mind, and it feels like um, one of my better uses of technology that now I can record these beautiful gifts, uh, treasures nice. well, of conversations.
2: What well, has been a total pleasure. The only thing maybe I'll say in closing. When we, we talk about being human, isn't it interesting in the New Testament? And in, in poor Paul, you know, we we religious people turn Paul into this uptight jerk so often. But isn't it interesting? Paul says what God is interested in is a new humanity, like a liberated humanity, a freed humanity. Um, he, he doesn't ask, like one of his beautiful phrases is, Um, here's why I work. He says, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing so that I can, uh, present every person complete in Christ. And, and he, he talks about that the, the, uh, that his vision is that we live out a, a new humanity. Oh my gosh. That to me is so beautiful. (laughs) And, 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 we and and so when people are saying do i stay christian very often it's because they say my experience of your religion called christianity is that it is not helping me experience that liberty and that freedom um it seems to me to be doing a good bit of harm it's making me more of a racist and more of a chauvinist and more of a bigot and more of a a perfectionist and mm. i need to find something else and those of us who stay christian i think are saying, yeah, you're right. We're looking for the same thing for ourselves, and we think the resources are there in our faith. Um, that that's yes. what it was actually supposed to be about. So, yes, yeah.
0: about freedom, about freedom. And I love how it. What comes to mind when you you used the word freedom? You you talked about how this ecumenical approach of, like, what other religions are looking for. Um, you know, whatever you choose to stay, because you had no stake in the game of pressuring anyone. It's like, whatever yeah. you choose to stay, like looking for um, humility. And was yeah. freedom one of them? Now I'm like, desperate to flip to that page. But humility mm-hmm. was one of them. Was freedom one of them? What were the three? I'll have to find that page now.
2: Yeah, like I, I'm forgetting myself, but I'm like, my
0: brain is just on fire because it's been so exciting. But I just, the part that I do remember the sentiment that I do remember for without referencing is this idea of like, are you looking for a kinder, more free, more loving place? Like, and you might be a Buddhist and you might be a Hindu and all all these different things. And that would have just blown my mind years ago. I would have thought you're a heretic, but I, I've, the problem is my experience shows me that's true. My experience yeah. has lived and felt the most inhumane, unloving treatment from those that are supposedly in the label and the most loving and kind and humble and free, free mm. energy from those that are, have a different label. So I, I, it's like, well, maybe if my kids get all the labels confused, maybe I'm getting <laughs> all the labels confused because it just I, – I read a book, The Last Girl – and she was a, a sex slave. And um, she grew up and it was like, it, it it hit me that it's like she was a sex slave by ISIS. It's like, and she writes this book called The Last Girl because she wants no one to have gone through that. And the experience is just absolutely agonizing. And then this Muslim man risks his life and his hmm. family's life and she fights like what gives her this inner hope this inner drive this inner Mm. get out of bed and try again after all this horrible treatment like and what gives him this love of I will risk my life again and again and again and it could have been horrific consequences but I'm like if that's not love if that's not like the same thing that gets me to like I'm doing two miles today and I'm gonna love these kids as hard as I can love these kids and I'm gonna get another round of groceries if it's not the same thing, I'm confused.
2: That's it. That's it. That's it. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Beautiful. Said. <sighs>
0: so that, w- that was another turning point of like, wait, okay. So what? Wh- I just I, I I'm running out of words, but I so value your time and I so thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for for breathing life into this work and just encouraging those in the wilderness and the wrestling.
2: Well, can I say, Julie, it's been a pleasure, and I, I'm so glad you're in this world of podcasting, and I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing, and I look forward to staying in touch.
0: Okay, that sounds wonderful, and um, many, many blessings to you on your Thursday night. Okay. So here is the scoop. What we have done is we have done a three-part series that I have basically invited you, the listener, into hearing my thoughts, my questions, my explorations. And as I said in the interview today, the more I learn, the less I know. But there is one thing that is so awe-striking to me is that I was not aware how not- alone I was. I realized that so many listeners are discouraged and disillusioned and disappointed and limping and broken from their own journey. And I am so grateful for the way you all have reached out and shared and encouraged and been vulnerable with your own experience. Um, and it just emboldens me to want to share this further. So um, what my husband and I have decided to do is that if you share this podcast on any social media platform, um, you will get your name entered into a chance to win a drawing and we want to give away all three books. We're just going to randomly choose. We're going to hold the drawing open for two weeks um, and then we'll randomly choose someone who's either shared about it on social media Or you can also get an entry into having a chance to win all three books by sending an email of a screenshot of how you have personally texted someone one of these three episodes. So you would just screenshot a picture and send it to CelebrateStoryPod at gmail.com. So either share on Facebook, Instagram, those are the only ones I know about. (laughs) Um, TikTok, you know, wherever you share your stuff, wherever you play online, or screenshot a copy of how you have personally sent one of these three podcasts. It is my hope, my intention, that it spreads hope and encouragement and inspiration, not because I think I have all the answers, but because we are all so deeply connected in our pain and our questions.
1: You taste the taste. You're lost in sorrow You see your yesterdays But I see tomorrow You see the darkness But I see the spark You know you An old soul With a new chance to grow I can't start To compare your love to the size of your heart If people saw the road you've been down They would know No, you wouldn't feel wasted Like an antidote To the world Chased by the visitors